this is Dougal from Juno Dream. We're Bastel, and you're listening to Rock and Roll with it. There you go. Hello, and welcome to Rock and Roll with it. I'm Teddy. I'm Holly. And if this is your first time listening in, in a nutshell, we talk all things rock, from classic to indie, punk to alternative. We're breaking down album releases, a little bit of everything that's all still to come on today's show. If you haven't listened to our first episode, it's all about support acts. No spoilers though, no spoilers. If you want to know more, check it out. A big thank you first off to everyone who has got in touch. We've been overwhelmed by all the positive support. Big thank you. And if you do want to get in touch, you can follow us on socials at rock roll with it send us an email to rock and roll with it media at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you what i did want to quickly throw in before we get into the whole debate we saw pastel two months or so ago and they're in our intro saying you're listening to rock and roll with it yeah and we didn't talk about them even though yet again it was another support act that we'd gone to see rather than the headliner it was that classic thing of we pushed stop packed everything up and went Oh my God, I can't believe we didn't talk about that. Yeah, they were awesome. I absolutely love the song, She Waits For Me, which if Pastel are listening, they didn't play, which I wasn't overly happy about, but they were cool. They were really cool. The coolest thing about Pastel though, is they supported LG at Nebworth, Liam Gallagher, for a group of boys that I don't reckon they could be older than us, potentially even younger. Well, we were stood next to the guitarist, mum and dad in the audience, and it was very sweet. And we, we said to the parents at the end, but I think their son's called Joe, where he's lead guitarist, and he was fab. Big shout out to Joe, if you're listening in. Hopefully Pastel are listening, since they are in the Hopefully intro. that's his name. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Otherwise, we're going to look very daft indeed. So talking about Liam Gallagher actually brings us nicely onto our topic of the day. Yeah, And it was really nice, loads of engagement last week, but I think this topic is something that everyone will be able to sink their teeth into. Everyone's got some kind of emotional attachment to this band. Particularly me. Yeah, particularly you. I feel like everyone has like a moment in their life when they come to love Oasis. Noel and Liam Gallagher. Doesn't get much more iconic than that, does it? As I said in the first episode, give it a listen, Oasis and the Foo Fighters are my two favourite bands of all time. Well, until last year, without fail, come November, December when Spotify Wrapped would come out, you could just guarantee they'd be number one. I think I was 0.01% of Oasis listeners. You were that high up? Oh, yeah. Well, today's question then, will Oasis get back together? So, before we answer that question, let's just talk history. So why did the band break up in the first place? What led to that moment? Well, it's a pretty crazy timeline. We've just watched some of the films like Supersonic, Liam's documentary as it was. And it's crazy how quickly everything comes together and also falls apart. You say that though, I think documentaries definitely glamorise how quickly something does come together because Noel starts jamming with the band and then nothing happens for two years. So that's 1992. The band's been going for a little bit. He's been on tour as a roadie for the Inspiral Carpets. And yeah, you're right. Nothing happens for about two years. And then it just explodes. Yeah. Noel just writes banger after banger banger. What do you reckon your favourite Oasis song is to start? Oh, this is going to really make me look silly because I thought you were going to ask me album and I was going to go straight. We'll do song and album. It's not a difficult question for me, album. It's the popular thing to say. It's not the cool, edgy thing to say, but it's easy. Definitely Maybe is without a doubt, hands down, the best album. We looked through all the songs and all the different albums over the last few weeks and there's not a bad song on that album. If you went and saw either Liam or Noel now and they played any song off that album, 
you lose your mind. But I think my favourite song is probably Stand By Me, which is not on that album or What's the Story? I should have known that. We saw Liam at Isle of Wight Festival and I saw Teddy crying, so... It's an emotional song. It is an emotional song. What about you? What about you? Favourite album then? So I was having a real think about this actually this week. I've listened through all of Oasis again on Spotify and the thing I absolutely love about Oasis is you can have a little break and then you come back to them and you almost discover a new song. There's over... a hundred odd and I was having a listen through and I was like oh what's my favorite album but my favorite song without even a second thought is Gas Panic which is on the album Standing on the Shoulders of Giants it's an exceptional song yeah I I knew you were gonna say that the thing I just love about Gas Panic is it's about seven minutes long and I don't know with the exception of maybe Pink Floyd or Stone Roses their songs are pretty meaty seven minutes isn't long enough I wish it was 15 minutes even longer I just think it's It's just Oasis through and through. Just love it. Which is weird as well because it's one of their older albums. And when I was having my debate about what's the best album, my underdog actually is Dig Out Your Soul. What? So the seventh and final album, it's got some right bangers on it. Bag It Up, Shock of the Lightning. I'm looking at you very blankly for all listeners right now. So I came to the conclusion that Be Here Now is badass. And I know that that's Liam's favourite album. Every single song I love. I was having a chat with my best mate Liv and something I really did agree with her actually is so her favourite is um, Morning Glory and she said it's just nostalgic for me as a child with my dad and I was like do you know what absolutely get that and I get that more with definitely maybe well yeah as we always say feel free to disagree with us on every point and that's actually something we quite liked when people got in touch and went I can't believe you said that about X or Y I'm not going to dig the hole that we're in already any deeper so no names no names <coughs> inhaler <laughs> Yeah. So we've got that out of the way. Back to the history. Back to Definitely Maybe. That album drops and Shaker Makers in the charts, Supersonics in the top 10, they explode. Within two years, they're playing Nebworth. 4% of the population have applied for tickets and you see those shots. And even though Liam's been back and there have been shows just as big, there's nothing quite like that footage. They had about 250,000 tickets. Yeah. Think about how big a festival like Red or Leeds is 80,000. It's that times three. When you think about them being the biggest British band at the time, 250,000 tickets over two nights is not very many. It seems crazy that even though the band was together from 91, really, the year before Noel joined, to 2009, it kind of feels like that could be the getting off point for Oasis for a lot of people. We don't want to talk through all of Supersonic, but the one thing that really resonated with me is Noel saying, Nebworth was the point it all should have ended. They hit the top of the peak. They couldn't have got any higher than that. They'd already screwed up America at that point. That's where it should have ended. And it was a downward spiral from that point. Although they were together for... They were together for 13 more years. Yeah, despite all of the conflict. But the interesting thing, I think, about that documentary, which will filter quite nicely into our debate, is the members that make up Oasis. Because at that point, you've got, obviously, Noel and Liam, Gwigsy, Bonehead, and Whitey on the drums. But after that point, the lineup changes quite a lot. Like, 99, you lose both Gwigsy and Bonehead, and then you've got Jem Archer and Andy Bell, but then the drums change, and there's no real drummer after 2004, and other members who kind of come in and out. It feels like... 
Oasis kind of lost some of the spirit then. Definitely. I think the rock and roll side certainly from behind closed doors started to change because I actually found out the reason that Bonehead left was because him and Noel had some massive blowout argument because Noel had this rule, no drugs in the studio. This was I think 99 and they had Stoner Gwigsy who was like well I need my weed and then Bonehead who was just drinking like a fish all day and Liam at the time was trying to get sober through alcohol Noel was trying to get off the drugs and him and Noel had this massive fight and then Noel said oh I haven't seen him since and it was an interview a good few years after so it was clearly a massive change for the band. Well yeah it's funny that it seems like Oasis's greatest quality was also their biggest downfall. They've all said it every single one of them in various interviews have said we weren't the best guitarists in the world the best drummers the best singers we weren't the best at anything but we were the best band in the world and that's because they had the spirit they had something that nobody else had that complete crazy rock and roll living life to the full and that's all great when you're on stage when you're singing the songs at the top of your lungs not so much when you're sat in the studio and trying to get it all down on paper and refine it definitely being brothers as well would have made it more complicated because there's not the boundary of how to behave I think when you're a family member it's more relaxed isn't it two brothers with I don't know five years difference they're gonna clash anyway but there was a time that Liam brought a load of people back to the studio and guitars were damaged and Noel came back and he smashed him around the head with a cricket bat I don't think he did that to any of the other band members no I can't think of any stories like that that I've seen in the press and you think about that aggression and you wouldn't get over that overnight and if that had happened on multiple occasions it's gonna cause a divide so not to belittle the next nine or so 10 years really after Gwigsy and Bonehead leave but fast forward to 2009 few albums that have come out Standing on the Shoulder of Giants Dig Out Your Soul that don't do quite as well critically or commercially it all culminates in that awful night in France in 2009 which we've watched the footage from it they're meant to play a concert and everyone's standing there waiting to see them cheering and this poor bloke has to say Oasis are no more there's no show for you to watch they've broken up it's just awful isn't it can you imagine being that announcer and having to admit that news to however many thousand fans well yeah everyone is screaming and booing and he's going no it's the truth go and look at the website Noel has written up the whole story they've had a massive argument it's over and that's the crazy thing is Noel had already prepped the report to go into the news he knew that he was at the end of his tether 2009 it's 14 years ago now quite a lot's happened they've both got solo material that's very successful and they've both had peaks and troughs in their solo careers but 14 years on are Oasis ever going to get back together we both have very different opinions on this don't we yeah so I'm more towards the side that Oasis aren't going to get back together and I'm convinced they will but I want to hear you out because I'm prepared to have my mind changed on things and I'd like to think I'm open-minded. So convince me, why are they not getting back together? So I've watched countless interviews, particularly Noel, because I think Liam's a bit of a keyboard warrior. He loves Twitter and he also talks a lot of rubbish on Twitter. Oh yeah, 100%. So Noel said in an interview, if I am paid 100 million, then I'll do a reunion. And then Liam puts out a tweet and goes, we've been offered 100 million and the greedy 
soul, still won't do it, stay young, LG. And I just think, who's telling the truth? It is kind of that thing of, I hate to say it because I love them both for very, very different reasons. But all publicity is good publicity. It's a saying for a reason. So true. Yeah, because let's be real. There is an article about Oasis getting together or not getting back together every week. But do you not think till the day they die that there's always going to be the question, will Oasis get back together? And if that day ever comes, is it just going to float away into history? I see what you mean. And I still disagree. And this is not me being stubborn, stubborn like a Gallagher brother. Mm. I genuinely think that all of this fury, all of this animosity, it comes down to the two brothers being stubborn. To say they are supremely stubborn would be an understatement of epic proportions. But I also think both of them have shown quite evidently that they've also changed quite a lot since 2009 when the band broke up. Take Liam and BDI. So the second Oasis ends, Liam starts this new band called BDI, pretty much Oasis 2.0, but without Noel. It's got most of the same members and it completely crashes and burns. And there's a whole load of reasons why BDI didn't work. There's the songs. Liam won't use songwriters. He's adamant he's got to prove Noel wrong, write the material himself. They don't promote any of it. There's one advert on TV the day before the album comes out. They're not doing any press stuff. And even in press interviews, his whole persona is pretty unlikable. You can go through pretty much any interview of Liam and BDI. He looks disinterested and he basically goes, buy the record or F off. There's an awful clip we both saw the other day. Oh, I'm trying to think it might be the BBC, but what is the journalists say to him? I think he just talks about the fact that it's, you know, obviously the shows are a lot smaller and they're saying, oh, you know, it's a lot more intimate and he's not only deflated but is also very rude to the interviewer. And then add to that the big thing is that Liam takes all the Oasis songs out the BDI set list. All of it is a massive middle finger to Noel. But fast forward 10 years on now, because BDI ended in about 2012 and 2022 was Liam's year. He has Nebworth shows, I think his fourth number one album, if you include all the live albums and stuff like that. And all of those elements are different. Like you'd go back to when he won Godlike Genius with NME. He literally says, thank you to the army of songwriters who supported me. His opinions changed there. He plays loads of Oasis songs now. It's a big thing going, what Oasis songs do you want to hear in the set? I absolutely agree with you. I think Liam has completely transformed. He has now got the leadership, but is still a badass. Something that Noel didn't have. The most gifted songwriter in the world. Absolutely. But he's not really very cool. Kids grow up wanting to be Liam, not Noel. And I read this really cool thing and it says that Liam is now sort of a hybrid. So he's still got the Liam Gallagher swagger from the 90s, but he's also gifted. Oh yeah, we've seen the Liam documentary as it was, which obviously it is a Liam documentary and he helped produce it. So it's going to be slightly biased, but I think it is quite brutally honest. But one thing that's really cool is watching him in the studio, getting to assume this role that he never had before. Like there are clips of Noel completely owning Oasis. It's going to sound like this. We've seen the clips of Liam going, oh, our kid will be sat in the studio playing with his one guitar line all day long. So we go to the pub and Liam is sat there with his solo stuff going, oh, play that. Or I can hear this drum line. And he's assumed this role, as you say, of the leader, but that's exactly what I mean that I think that shows that Liam is capable of change
change. I agree with everything you have said, but do you not think that this makes Liam absolutely fine and able to do his solo career alone? Because the other side of this is Noel and he's got his new album, Council Skies, coming out on the 2nd of June. And he has pretty much said that it's going back to the beginning. It's funny you bring that up because that was going to be my next thing. That Not only is Liam capable of it, but I think Noel's kind of had to swallow his pride as well with that same album because I know that you absolutely adore Noel. You love all the High Flying Bird albums. The first one, Chasing Yesterday. You even like Who Built the Moon, which I really can't stand. I don't like it all. It did grow on me. I did go on the tour and, well, I didn't go with Noel on the tour. Oh, you wish. You (laughs) wish you'd gone on the tour. But it's not even comparable to the first two. But I'm so excited for the new album because the singles are just beautiful. Noel has said that Easy Now is up there with the top tier songs like Little by Little and The Master Plan. And it was kind of beautiful, actually, because he said that songs like this don't fall out the sky so much as they used to for him in Oasis. And I just think, okay, you're going back to old tricks. This is why I knew this would be a great debate, because even the points that you're making against my argument, I totally agree with. It seems like even though the crux of this argument lies in the brothers' relationship itself, it's all the behind the scenes stuff that actually seems like it will dictate whether they will get back together. Things like money. But also with Noel, it's really interesting. I'd never done this before with an album before researching for this episode, but looking at producers and for the Who Built the Moon album, he has a producer called David Holmes and they've collaborated with a few things. David Holmes actually got a new song out that he co-wrote with Noel and I absolutely hate David Holmes. I don't know anything about him really, but I can't stand him for this one reason that he sat in the studio and Noel has done a whole load of quotes about it saying, I write this guitar line and I go, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? And David Holmes goes, sounds like Oasis, doesn't sound like High Flying Bird. And Noel has said this publicly in interviews. He says about how it's completely different and David really stopped him writing anything that was like Oasis, played him a whole load of French jazz that he didn't actually like, but he came round to it and then incorporated it into the album. And he even says, and this is the pinnacle of it for me, that they got some French vocalist in from a band, Le Volume Court, or something <laughs> like that. He gets this vocalist in and she lays down a whole load of vocals and he still says to this day, I've got no idea what any of them mean. And that seems to contradict everything that he'd said before about, and we've seen before of him wanting to be in charge. There's a great clip of him at Glastonbury last year where he's played a load of Oasis tracks and then he says to the crowd, I'm going to play a load of songs now that you don't give a about. And the crowd all laugh, but there is this moment of going, you've completely gone in the wrong direction. Well, you think of Black Star Dancing. Oh, it, God, which... I hate that track. It's so awful. Oh, you're taking a bit of a Holly stance yeah, now. Brutality. I am taking a Holly stance because it's not Noel. No, it's like a sort of 80s dance pop attempt at rock. You actually tried to justify a load of High Flying Bird stuff to me, but it goes back to that thing with David Holmes of him going, that sounds like Oasis, not High Flying Birds. David Holmes, who are you to say what High Flying Birds sounds like? So we've figured out then that Noel has said this new album is very reflective of what he used to love writing. I don't necessarily think that means it's an Oasis reunion. I think of four years ago, so I have got to give a shout out to Rob Ashton, my old man. Big shout out to you, Rob. So 
Rob and I went to Reading 2019 to see the Foo Fighters and you'll see the link and you know I'm just thinking you're just trying to talk about your two favourite bands in one go now yeah but this is the beauty is that I can because the Foo Fighters love Oasis they're absolutely fuming that they're not getting back together and I remember seeing Taylor's drum kit and I said to my dad that's Liam and Noel on his drum kit then in the set Taylor goes I feel like we should do a vote for who wants Oasis back together and then a couple of days ago I watched an interview of Noel and his response to this and he said oh did anyone see that Taylor was trying to get Oasis back together and he was going to do a vote and he said I want to vote for who wants to get the Foo Fighters to split up oh god so he was not happy and then to follow on from that Taylor's response and Noel if you ever listen to this I don't think this about you but I do have to say it because it is so funny and Taylor goes I think it was Radio X he's like I love Liam but I do not like Noel I'm not going to be listening to <laughs> potato- you can't even say this now you're, you're cracking up about it before you've even said it <laughs> potato Gallagher and his low charting turds <laughs> <laughs> and, and and these two radio DJs are like, no, no, we, we like Noel. You can't say that. And it was just quality. But the reason I bring this up is because that's only four years ago. And Noel was really angry and was really negative about the Foo Fighters for talking to such a large audience about Oasis. And he was very still much in the mindset that that's not going to happen. Now I do seem really stubborn because I think you're totally right. But the difference is there that Noel's not in control of that narrative. That's somebody else dictating. And I think that's why ultimately Liam putting out the tweets he does only throws petrol on this fire. And that's why I think it's so interesting now with Council Skies, which is an album I cannot wait for. Going back to the producer thing, I found this really, really interesting that he's got a new producer on this album. When I say new, he's going back to an old producer called Paul Stacey. And this is really cool. And this was the turning point for me because I was on the fence about this argument. But Paul Stacey used to do a lot of work with Oasis. He started working with the band in 1999. He started as a sound engineer and then he started laying down guitar and he did all sorts with the band all the way up until 2009. He then works on the first High Flying Birds album, which I know it's different to Oasis, but that is the most like Oasis I think any of those albums sound. And now, after all that, and after the whole fallout of Who Built the Moon and Noel going, I'm not going to write things for Oasis fans anymore, he's gone back to somebody who helped him make that original Oasis sound. That says to me, more than any tweet, more than any interview, that he's going back towards the thing that makes him so great great that is Oasis. But I think he knows exactly what he's doing. And there's people like us that want nothing more than Oasis reunion. It's almost a tease. So to counteract your point... I'm liking this now. This is getting beefy. I like this. <laughs> to counteract your point, Noel thinks that Oasis are only up with the greats because they have split. And I've got this big quote here that I'm going to read you. I'm prepared to be convinced. The legacy of the band is set in stone. If people have seen us, then they'll understand understand what the fuss is about. If they didn't see us, then that's tough because I've never seen the Beatles or the Sex Pistols. Oh, 
It's not often that I'm a bit lost for words. When you think about the Beatles, Noel and Liam, that's like their gods. That's a pretty unarguable statement. The annoying thing is I've got more points to be like, no, 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 no. Like, the relationship between them is better. Do it. Those points won't disprove the point that you've just made. They could still be talking again and be getting on, but that doesn't mean they'll get the band back together, which is really, really annoying to have to admit. So from 2009 to 2019, Noel and Liam has said that they both had seen each other in 10 years. I'm not going to listen to the tabloids. Four years, we aren't aware that they've had an awful lot of contact. To go from that to then having a reunion in a band where there's so much history and there's so much beef. Do you really think that is possible? See, like, see, I- if you could see Teddy's face, I am winning this battle and I feel so good. <laughs> so for the last few minutes, I've been licking my wounds, trying to trying to get back licking into the- my wounds. <laughs> but I, I've got this now. <laughs> I've got this now because you've set me up to smash this game set match. (laughs) I'm not talking tabloids. I'm talking gov.co.uk. You can't argue with that because they clearly do speak. There is evidence of it. We talked about documentaries like Supersonic, Liam's one as it was. There's also another one that came out last year or maybe the year before, I'm not quite sure, called Nebworth 96. It's a documentary all about the two nights and a whole load of film companies put it together, including Cosmic Kite Limited, which means nothing to pretty much everyone, except for if you look it up on gov.co.uk, which is an undisputed resource of information. (laughs) There are two directors of this company. Arguable. What? (laughs) No, there's not arguable. There are two directors and they go by the names of Noel Gallagher and Liam Gallagher. They've set up this company together Mm. for one thing. It's money. It's the thing that will always come back to it. They clearly are speaking. Noel has even said in an interview with BBC Radio Manchester recently from the horse's mouth, yeah, our relationship is good. We talk on the phone. He does say, never say never for Oasis, which I think there should be a win for me that they're not not going to get back together. You can't equivocally say it because he says never say never. I will caveat that with the fact that he says it would take an extraordinary set of circumstances but I feel like that must disprove. They can't be co-directors of a company. There has to have been some kind of conversation between the two of them to go, let's set this up. I'm going to be the bigger person right now and concede one major issue with this argument. This is the real question that we should be asking in all of this. Not will Oasis get back together, but what does Oasis getting back together actually mean? Is that a new album? Mm, Probably not. Is it a new single even? Still, probably not. Is it a reunion tour? No. I think they could get back on stage and do a song. Even that, I think, would be so legendary because the main issue with this, and I've said about behind the scenes, is who would make up the rest of the band? Because that's a pretty hard thing. Like we've said about Bonehead, hasn't spoken to Noel since 1999. Has never said a bad word about him, but he's not said anything. And then you've got your Gem Archers and Andy Bell doing their own things as well. I don't know. I feel like everyone's got a different opinion on this, but Liam and Noel are the crux of the band, but Bonehead was the life and soul. They both say that Bonehead was the glue. Yeah. So is it a three-person reunion or do we need the other two? Or I don't know, there's more than two, aren't there? It's an impossible argument. Yeah. For the fact it is so impossible, this is why I don't think that it is going to happen. So my main takeaway points is that Noel says they are only a great because they have already 
be split. Oasis are sort of a thing of the past now mm. and they have now created their own solo careers which okay Knowles did dip slightly but I think Council Skies is going to be revolutionary for High Flying Birds. Liam has brought rock back into the younger generations. Can we just take a moment to actually think about how amazing Liam is? The fact that he sold out Nebworth for two nights on his own is insane. It's utterly insane. He is the coolest man alive. And I hate to say that because I think Noel is so talented. He's an incredible person. They're both horrible people when you get down to it. I don't think you can become that famous a rock and roll star without being a little bit of a dickhead. But that's kind of what makes you love them. Yeah, because you can always aspire to them because ultimately you know that you won't be like that and you probably wouldn't want to be. That's ultimately why you love rock stars, isn't it? Because you idolise their life knowing you're never going to have that but their solo careers have both gone very well Knowles a lot earlier than Liam's obviously with the failure of BDI which held him back put him in a very dark place but the first High Flying Birds album is phenomenal oh yeah I love that album I love every song on it and I love it more as a result of the things you've told me about it and listening to it with you but even that it's over 10 years old now the world is a different place and both Liam and Noel hold a very different place in that world 10 years on okay so let's wrap this okay one final point each I'll let you go first because I've been very loud. I've been a bit rude and spoken over you a bit because I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn and I want to win. So I'll let you wrap up. So I think that their solo careers are both going perfectly well. I think Council Skies is going to go off for Noel. And just a little side fact on that, which is really nice. So Noel was looking for a word for one of his new songs and he was sat in his lounge and he looked at his coffee table and Council Skies is actually a book by a guy called Pete McKee. And he looked at it and he obviously thought, that's quite you know, reminiscent of my childhood having lived on a council estate. He spoke to the author and said, would I be able to use this as my album name? And while actually Council Skies stands for a colour, like a... Yeah, it's a colour of paint, right? Yeah, exactly. Noel felt it was the perfect thing going back to the beginning of it all. And then we look at Liam, whose career is going faultlessly. While he's taking a year out, he's done two shows sold out of Nebworth. So my final decision still stands that... While I'd love it to be true, I think it's a bit of a pipe dream for fans. I completely respect that. As I've said to you, I think there are real issues of who would be in the band, for one. Like, part of the reason BDI broke up was because Liam didn't like the fact that members of BDI wanted to do something different, like Andy Bell going back to ride. He didn't want to be in a band with people doing other things and ultimately if he does do Oasis Noel will probably still do solo stuff and it will be that same issue but I'm going to bring it back to my final points one cynical reason one not so cynical reason two words Sarah McDonald Noel's now ex-wife having been with her for 13 years I want to say she very publicly didn't like Oasis's tunes she didn't like any of the first two albums of Noel's solo stuff like I remember him doing an interview about What a Life saying like oh Sarah hates this song and Liam is very publicly said about how she banned an Oasis reunion and I think that would be a big stretch to say oh now she's out the picture Oasis will happen but I think the more cynical side of it is the money side of it we've seen 
with Liam that part of the reason why he needed Oasis to get back together in the first place was how expensive a divorce was. And I think ultimately for these guys, there is a shelf life and they've both done remarkably well to reinvigorate their careers and their identities. But there will come a point where that starts to fade, even the furore around the weekly tabloid stories of whether they'll get back together. And I know you said, oh, if they do, it ends that legend. But if it gets to the point where no one's interested in that legend anymore, that's the point when they probably will need the money and they will do it. And that's very cynical, so I don't want to end on that. I'll wrap up nicely on something a bit more positive that, like Oasis saying, I know Bonehead really famously says that after Nebworth, they should have walked off that stage and that should have been the end. It would have been so legendary. It's difficult to perceive Oasis getting back together unless it can get bigger and bigger. And for all the stuff we see about Liam now and his documentaries, when he does interviews, he's clearly a family man. His fiance Debbie says that about he really cares. The footage you see with him and Noel's mum, Peggy, and even his relationship with the third brother, the lesser known brother, Paul, and all that Nebworth stuff about him doing it on his own is incredible. And it will be very hard to top from a solo point of view. I think the only way it could possibly get better is for Oasis to get back together, to get people like Bonehead back on that stage. Because when Bonehead goes up on stage with Liam, it's a crowd pleaser. You can't help but smile. The romantic in me would see the only way you can top that is for them all to be back on stage. And I think that's the way I see it. Do you know what, Teddy? This is the one and only time that I pray that you prove me wrong. I can't believe it's the one time. The one and only time that I hope you prove me wrong. We've been together for almost three years and that's the one time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Well, it's because I'm right every other time. Well, we'll wrap this up because otherwise this is going to end very badly. (laughs) We know that we differ with our opinions on this. You probably do as well if you're listening in get in touch let us know what you think absolutely so moving on from that rather heated debate let's cool things down a little bit yeah with my the next face bit. is like hot from being like no yeah i feel no. like we need to open a window <laughs> yeah so if you didn't listen to our last show one thing we like to do just to keep things topical is to talk about a new story going on in the world of rock so holly and i have both brought something we haven't spoken to each other about it together so hopefully we've gone for different things um holes i'm going to tee you up you go first so do you know what i'm loving this show this is like my Nebworth. It's going to be hard to top it on the next one. We'll do it, but it's going to be hard because we've had this whole debate about Oasis. So my new story is actually about the Foo Fighters. Okay. Because obviously last year we had the absolutely horrific news about Taylor Hawkins passing, which obviously left all of us fans um, questioning what was going to happen with the Foo Fighters. Teddy, my dad and I had tickets to go and see the Foo Fighters in June. And obviously with Taylor's passing, um, that didn't happen. So we were absolutely gutted. And there's been this question of, are the Foo Fighters ever going to be a band again? And we've had a very, very exciting news story. The Foo Fighters are back. They're back. They're back. They're back. They are back. They are back. So, so exciting. So they not only have released a single that's just come out called Rescued, they've got an entire album coming on the 2nd of June, the same date as Council Skies by Noel Gallagher. You're having the best show ever right now, aren't you? Oh my God, this is awesome. Holly's got such a big grin across her face. (laughs) That weekend, so that would be the Friday, the 2nd of June, I can tell everyone now, any of our mates listening in, we won't be around the next day. Holly's going to be sat listening to albums all day long. Yeah, that's going to be a juicy day. 
day of new tunes, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it 100%. Look out for our weekly playlist that week. I think it's going to be full of foos and no. Definitely. So the new single is amazing. Despite Dave saying that they were coming to do something different, I think it's very Foo Fighters, actually. It's interesting you say that because you and I had our grievances with the last album, but we, we came around to it in some ways, but it didn't feel super, super rocky, did it? It felt a little bit different. We weren't huge fans. It definitely wasn't up there with like Echo Silence, Patience and Grace. But, you know, without a doubt, it was still good. So you think this is a return to form then? Yeah. I mean, the Rescued one, I'd say, is actually a little bit like the newer album, but the ending is just so powerful. The ending for me makes me love the song. I think if it didn't have that Foo Fighter energy at the end, then I might not feel so connected to it, but I love it. The great thing about the new album that they've got coming out on the 2nd of June is that it's called But Here We Are. You know, it shows everyone it's like we've had a really terrible thing happen to our band. We've lost a vital member, but here we are. We're back. And I think it's just testament to the healing powers of music. 100%. I think the news stories we have seen come out about what Dave or the band have said in statements has been very much like this band's been going for 27 years. It came out of a place of a lot of darkness and sadness for Dave personally with Kurt Cobain and Nirvana and the power of music the power of all those fans who have filled stadiums filled festival arenas for decades now there's something very powerful about keeping that going and keeping that community together they've got 25 shows coming up for 2023 and within that they need a new drummer yeah so I mean this is all just talk at the moment and they listed a few names but I've picked out two that I was like oh interesting okay so the first one we've got is Matt Cameron who was in Pearl Jam and Soundgarden Mm -hmm. which is really cool because I absolutely love Chris Cornell from Soundgarden I think the sound itself is just unreal you know that definitely could give the Foo Fighters a different twist and then secondly Chad Smith from Red Hot Chili Peppers so I think two very very refreshing artists it's a weird one and I kind of wonder whether the Foo Fighters might be a little bit like Oasis to kind of tie everything in together because after Alan White leaves Oasis in 2004 they don't really have like a solid drummer who is in the band they have touring drummers and I kind of wonder whether the Foo Fighters will be better off doing that because when it comes to recording albums Dave will just play the drums so it could just play the drums I don't think they'll ever want to replace Taylor either I feel like everyone knows Dave Grohl and they know Taylor Hawkins primarily I know for a long time that was all I knew because they're the face of Foo Fighters, really. And I think to replace Taylor with a permanent new drummer, I think might be a bit raw. I was watching a show that the Foo Fighters did and Dave was singing an acoustic version of Times Like These and was just sobbing on stage. And I found myself crying as well. It was just heartbreaking. And you watch that and you think you can't emotionally deal with a new band member to replace Taylor permanently. Well, Potentially then, we've just said about touring drummers, you could almost kind of make it a part of trying to bring more positivity that you have a different drummer each time. Like Mm. a bit like with the tribute shows that happened, how they had Taylor's son play, Nandy, that girl who went viral over lockdown. She played the drums at one point. And I guess that could be like a spreading the love positivity overload with those tours. And that absolutely proves Dave's point of saying they're going to be a different band going forward. It's just like fluid music, really, isn't it? So 
any Foo Fighters fans out there comment on our socials because I'm going to put a picture of Taylor with the Oasis drums on our socials because it's so iconic. It's a moment in history for me and my dad. I know that for sure. But comment, like, who do you think the new drummer's going to be? So that's my new story. What's yours? My story has quite a lot to do with a film we watched quite recently. It's on Netflix. Very graphic shocking film if you have seen it you'll know exactly what i mean film called the dirt all about a legendary rock band motley crew exactly well motley crew are no stranger to controversy in fact they flirt with it on an almost daily basis it seems and some of the controversies are too bad to actually speak about on this podcast i think but they're embroiled in yet another controversy one completely central to the core of their band including legendary guitarist Mick Mars because he is suing his fellow bandmates and there is a lot of beef. So Mick Mars he's a little bit older than the other bandmates he's 71 and he also has this awful condition called ankylosing spondylitis and I've had to practice saying that quite a lot. You might have to fill myself and listeners in because I've got no idea what that is. So I'm not completely sure about what it is because it's in the film The Dirt a little bit but basically he has awful chronic pain all the time okay so much so that october last year he had to say to his fellow bandmates i cannot tour anymore the tour got extended for a load of different reasons or what have you and it pushed him completely to breaking point so october he says to the band i can't tour anymore i have to stop doing that but i don't want to leave the band i can still play guitar if we're playing a residency like in las vegas if we're recording anything i'm gonna be there because i'm a co-founding member I love Motley Crue. I'm all over this. This is where things go a little bit awry because now he's having to sue his bandmates because apparently they are completely kicking him out. Ooh, brutal. Yeah. Motley Crue have a whole load of business ventures, it seems, and they are a business themselves. And as a co-founding member, Mick Mars has 25% stake in all of that. He alleges that that stake has been cut to 5%, that he's not going to be playing the guitar anymore. And this is where it gets really bad. He alleges that Nikki Six has gaslit him, has said that his guitar playing is always subpar, fans are always complaining about it, and that he needs to stop. And it's got worse and worse, because Mick Mars has hit back, saying that on their last few tours, Nikki Six didn't play a single note live on his bass guitar, everything was pre-wrecked, and that every other bandmate has at least a large proportion of the show, which is also pre-wrecked. It's got awfully awfully beefy see they're just motley crew through and through if you haven't watched the dirt definitely give it a watch because i think it very nicely sums up motley crew i had heard of motley crew but i had no idea how unhinged they were it's not completely historically accurate and there are definitely things that they even make fun of the fact like this manager is one guy in the film but he was two people in real life that's a part of the film but it does really give you a sense of that energy and just that crazy recklessness makes Oasis look tame yeah it really does actually in comparison but it is just quite sad to see because they founded Motley Crue 41 years ago and this is the worst bit for me that the manager has been the manager for a long time and his response to all of Mick Mars's allegations which he's clearly quite upset he said that Mick Mars is completely wrong and because he's a little old man that's listening to his legal advisors he's accused Mick Mars's legal advisors of elder abuse. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cutting. Oh, God. 
It's awful. It's awful. And it kind of comes down to the fact that supposedly the rest of the band say that you can't record and you can't be part of residencies and then not tour. If you're not touring, you're not part of the band. And it is a bit of a he said, she said, all of that. It really feels like it's going back and forth a lot, isn't it? It is. It's almost like a school. Like, oh, you did this. Oh, you did that. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I think in the whole legal dispute, Mick Mars has demanded actual transcripts of supposed business meetings that went on with the other members where they've said about cutting his stake down, but still having the rights to his image and his likeness for the rest of his life. And I think if those documents do come out, it will shed some more light on it. But a band already embroiled in enough controversy, it ruins their legend a little bit, which seems ridiculous given when you look at people like Vince Neil, some of the awful things that have happened. I don't think this is surprising in any way for a band that was so reckless and aggressive and unashamedly mental. I don't think it ever ends well, especially when they've been going for 40 years. You've got to know when to stop. It all comes down to the same thing that we're saying with that I think we'll get Oasis back together because Motley Crue did end. They all did solo stuff. Tommy Lee's got a rap album, for goodness sake. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They all went off and did different things, but they got back together because what's the one thing that brings all these bands back together? Money. Two very different, but interesting news stories again. Um, yeah, hopefully they'll be a bit more lighthearted next time around. We won't be talking about horrible legal disputes or filling someone else's shoes. That's our thing for next month. We need to come up with some nice news stories to talk about. If you didn't listen to last episode of the podcast, one thing that we really can't stand in the music industry is useless fluff. Just nonsense, really, about gigs, about album reviews going, oh, wow, this was so profound. We're not about that. We're about telling it to you straight. And that's what exactly what we're going to do with the next part of the show, Stop Clock Reviews, 30 seconds to review an album. Holly, what are you going to be reviewing today? So an album that's come out very recently is How Many Dreams by the DMAs. I know you really like the DMAs. I got you the vinyl and tickets to see them for your birthday. So I'm kind of hoping you like this album since I got it for you as a present, but the truth will be in your review. How are you feeling? This is not going to be as good as Teddy's if you listen to the previous episode. He's he's so good at thinking on his toes. No excuses. Stop, 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 stop. No excuses. Are you ready? I am ready. Three, two, one... Okay, so the new album, How Many Dreams by DMAs, is starting to explore more of an EDM side, just like their previous album, The Glow, but not as similar to Hill's End and For Now. It definitely reaches more of the old fan base with songs like Olympia, I Don't Need to Hide and Dear Future, but then opening new fan bases with the songs Decal Forever and How Many Dreams. I would say that it's a mixture of songs to dance to and songs to also have a cry to. Throw it up! I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I, I was a bit mean at the end to really push you. 31.66 seconds. Oh my god, that was horrible. <laughs> yeah, Holly's gone quite red now. <laughs> I, I think that was good though. I'm a little bit disappointed it was only a 6 out of 10, but given what you I said... I had more things I wanted to say. Without any of the fluff, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. What else would you like to say about it? So, something I did want to say. So, Johnny Turk is the acoustic guitarist. Yeah. He's so cool. He's so cool. I follow him on Instagram and he's recently got married to his wife called Hayley, who also... Um, 
um, is a musician, but she's very much based in Australia, which is originally where DMAs are from. And one of their singles is called I Don't Need to Hide. And Johnny did an interview and said, and I mean, it's, it's kind of cringe, but it's also quite sweet of like, it's a song that represents relationships. And when you finally meet someone that you can feel totally accepted and that feeling of no longer needing to hide who you really are. It's getting very soppy now, very emotional. I wasn't prepared for this. We've had a lot of ranging emotions on this (laughs) podcast today. Anger, love. Now I just feel, I feel like I want to (laughs) cry. Well, I just think that the fact they've just got married and the album itself is, again, cringy, but symbolic of, you know, hope and looking forward. And for them, they've created this very electronic rock, which is definitely looking into the future and arguably more potential to reach the charts. So, yeah, there's definitely a couple of songs I really don't like. There's one of them called Something We're Overcoming. I mean, I may be hated for this, but it reminds me of S Club Seven. Oh no, that is not a good comparison to me. You listen to it, you get it, but it definitely incorporates your original DMAs. Okay, I'm a bit surprised you gave it a six out of ten. Then that seems positive to me, especially because it's a better rating than I gave Cuts and Bruises last month. I feel positive about it. I'm really, really excited to see them, and it's one of those albums that. I listened to it first and the previous album, The Glow, was, it was a bit deflating at first because it was that thing of, okay, this is not your classic rock that DMAs had throughout the album. And then they were introducing more of this electronic side and I wasn't sure about it. And it's one of those, again, that grew on me exactly the same with How Many Dreams. I like less songs in How Many Dreams than The Glow, but overall, I'm happy. Cool. Well, I look forward to hearing how they are when you see them at the end of May. I'm sure there'll be content on TikTok, Insta, whatever. If you don't follow us, it's rock roll with it on all our socials. Go and follow us. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> and that's Teddy's job to do that, not yeah, me. Exactly. Exactly. We we all have our roles within this podcast. But <laughs> I am conscious that we are running short on time. So we've got to wrap things up quickly. Top song for the month, Holly. I know that you really, really struggle with this, picking one tune above everything else. What's your top tune for the month? So I put it in week one of my Spotify playlist right at the bottom. Um, It's Morphine by Wonder Horse. It's one of those songs that is just captivating. I loved it so much. I said to Teddy, because he's a whiz with the guitar, I said, I need to know those chords. I need to. And I can tell they're not hard, so I can do it. Please figure it out. So of course he did it in like two seconds. And oh, just it's just beautiful. It's just lovely. I would recommend anyone to listen. And if you haven't listened to Wonder Horse, definitely give them a try because they're an amazing up and coming band. Oh yeah. The singer's got such a set of pipes on him such a set of pipes it's just, why are you laughing that that's, that's just a fact yeah no it's so true yeah you, you're looking at me like i've said something awful now <laughs> just you weren't expecting that to come out of my mouth were you no no that yeah. that's taking away from the i was trying to just say he has a lovely voice he, very he, different he does have a an impressive set of pipes yeah well done i'm never gonna be able to say that ever again <laughs> i'm gonna move swiftly on to my song my top tune of the month which i really desperately wanted to put in one of my weekly playlists but you beat me to it it's by an up-and-coming artist we absolutely love we saw him at truck festival last year you even got him to record me a birthday message it's very heavy 
so, so cool. It's Kid Brunswick and Heaven Without You. He just seems to get better and better with every release. And it seems really silly to say that, like, with songs, obviously, it's very chart sort of mindset of me to say great songs have great hooks. But this really has an incredible hook. You can hear a crowd screaming it, going absolutely insane. It's immense. It is immense. It's a put the volume up to 11 type of song. Kid Brunswick is so cool because he definitely breaks boundaries with Mm. the genres. His songs are all very different, but he's got a gap in the market almost for music, I think. I think he's the start of something big. Oh, yeah. Well, we've talked about before last podcast when we were saying about the things we're into differently with music. I really like this sort of new wave of rock. The drum machine, the electric drum sets and trap beats almost. And he really does that really well. He melds the two really nicely. I can't wait to see what he releases over the next year or so. Hopefully he'll be on more festival lineups because I'm desperate to see him again as he builds a more of a band and more of a sound up. Go and listen to Kid Brunswick. I reckon he'll be at Leeds. I really hope so. He was really at Trucks so. last year as well. Which teases up quite nicely for, we're running out of time, so we are going to have to bring things to a close, but we'll be back next month talking all things festivals ahead of another summer and another festival season. So yeah, that wraps up a very filled debate, news stories. We've been all over and, the place today, yeah. Yeah, and my attempt at a album review i hope it was okay yeah well if you've liked this podcast make sure you rate it share it with your friends follow us on socials i'm gonna plug it one more time rock roll with it on all our socials you can send us an email to rock and roll with it media at gmail.com we're absolutely loving this until next time we'll see you next month